Yeah, greetings in Jesus' name, the Master's name. Let's uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 23 and 24. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, <clears throat> took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Now let's turn to John 19, verses 31-37. The Jews, therefore, because it was a preparation, the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. So here in verse 36, John is quoting from Psalm, a prophecy from Psalms 34.20, he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Now, the, the verse in Corinthians says, uh, take ye, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. So, was Jesus broken? Was his body broken? Actually, in studying this, uh, a number of places said that the... Um, the um, the uh, study of the texts and so on that they make they go by for creating our scriptures does not some of them do not have the phrase uh, which is broken for you you know uh, when Jesus took uh, the bread he he just said take eat this is my body he didn't say it but he did break it but he didn't say it's broken for you well it's kind of a small thing. But was Jesus' body broken? Okay, let's turn to Isaiah 50, verse 6. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Three things mentioned in that verse. What are they? Your back. Okay. The back and what'd you say, cheeks and face? Okay. And it tells what was done. Gave his back to the smiters, his cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, and the face shame and spitting. Now, some of the okay, some of the references uh, said things like this. Um, this portion of scripture contains an exact description of the barbarous indignities our blessed Savior suffered. To pluck, to pluck the hair is the highest insult that can be offered an oriental. Now, I don't know if those things still hold or not, but um, when, um, when, the, when the king, the Ammonites died, uh, Nahash it was, then David, he sent a delegation, it says, to comfort him, the son, 
Hanan, or uh, yeah, Hanan was the son's name, and he sent a delegation to come. It's kind of like, you know, when a head of state dies, then, um, well, depending how prominent a country it is, but, uh, the, well, if it's prominent enough, the president will go, or at least an ambassador or somebody. That's kind of, I think, what it was. So the Ammonite king died, so David sent a delegation to comfort his son. But, but Hanan's advisors said, uh, you know what? These people are spies. You think they come over here to be nice to you, but they're spies. And so they cut off half their beard, and they cut their clothes off up to their buttocks, it says. And then it says when they came back, they were, well, they were shamed. And, and so David said, uh, we, we would tend to think that, you know, cutting off their clothes was maybe the indignity, which it certainly was. But it says, you stay at Jericho until your beard grows back. So that thing of cutting the beard or so on, that, that was a, that's a real insult. And then, um, the, um, another place included that. It said, plucking the beard and spitting in the face are in the East regarded as the greatest insults. Um, I mean, we don't have to turn to that, I don't guess, but uh, in Numbers, when uh, when Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses, and then God struck Miriam with leprosy, and then Aaron said, oh, this is bad, pray for her so that it will go away, and so Moses did, and then God said, okay, I'll take it away, but, you know, something about if her father was so much as a spit in her face, you know, and so he said, she needs to stay outside the camp for seven days. This can't, thing can't just be slept on, swept under the rug. People need to know that she was in the wrong. And, and so, but to see, it said something about it. It said a spit in her face, a great indignity. And then, um, see, there was another case. Oh, yeah, when, uh, when uh, you know, uh, a woman's husband died without any children, then, then the 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 dead man's brother was supposed to marry and raise up children to her, but if he refused to, then she, what, took his shoe off and spit in his face uh, to say he wasn't doing his duty. So that just some instances there to say that this thing of plucking the beard and spitting in the face was a great indignity. And that's what it says here in, in Isaiah 50 that was going to happen to the Lord. And then, of course, is back to the smiters when Jesus was scourged. Um, let's uh, let's turn to Luke eighteen. Luke eighteen verses thirty one to thirty three. The first part of thirty three. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day shall rise again. Okay, now turn back to Mark 14.65. Mark 14.65 says, And some began to spit on him, and to cover his face, and to buffet him, and to say unto him, Prophesy. And the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. They spit on him. Well, they covered his face, and then they spit on him and hit him. And they struck him with the palms of their hands. I was thinking about that. I don't know. If you punch somebody in the nose, uh, it's kind of like, 
well, it's not very nice. But if you slap somebody upside the head, it's kind of a it's sort of an extra message you're sending. Uh, and that's what they did. They slapped him upside the head. And um, just just really, you know, just putting him down. Okay, turn back to Matthew 26. Verses 67 and 68. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Well, there again, just mocking him and, and so on. Now, 27, chapter 27, verses 26 to 31. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited down a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. So it said in Isaiah, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And that was done. That was, that was fulfilled. Was Jesus' body broken? The body can be broken without the bones being broken. They last Jesus and that scourging sometimes killed a person outright almost with a whip with the pieces of metal and bone in the end and tear the flesh till the muscles are showing and quivering. And um, putting the crown of thorns on his head and then hitting it and nailing him to the cross, his body was broken. But the seeing, okay, the title of the message of seeing is brokenness. And I'm not thinking that that was just introduction. I'm thinking about brokenness and our need for brokenness. I looked, I looked Nave's topical Bible. I looked at uh, um, new topical textbook by Tory. I looked um, Thompson Chain Reference Bible. I looked in all these references and some others under brokenness. And I never found brokenness. So what should I have looked for? What could I have looked under to find references on brokenness? Pardon? Contrite? That's good. Submission? Yeah. I don't know if I thought of that one. Okay. What else? Pardon? Yeah, humility. Anything else? Yes, repentance. Yeah, I didn't put that one down. That's a good one. The Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the poor in spirit, I think I preached the messages, didn't I? On Anyway, the poor in spirit is the people who recognize their 
spiritually bankrupt, totally helpless. They, and it's not just a head thing with them, they feel it throughout, thoroughly. So they're helpless, and they know it. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So they do something about it. I mean, they they recognize their condition and they mourn over it. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so the meek person, when he realizes he's bankrupt himself, realizes who he is before God, mourns over his condition, and then he is meek. He realizes there's nothing in himself. And that's not shriveling up and being a nobody. It's simply seeing our smallness and God's greatness. And it does relate to brokenness because when we see our smallness, well, we see our place before God, but it also makes us a lot easier to get along with others. A couple of contrasts. In Psalm 8, the psalmist said, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. So the psalmist said, You know, when I looked at the sky, and of course we know more technical details about it than he did, but he recognized enough to be awed by it. This God who's in control of all that and made all that to think that he would pay any attention to man just overwhelmed him. What is man that you visit him? Do you pay any attention to him? But he said, you've made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. When we recognize and acknowledge and accept how great God is and how small we are, then we can be put in a position of honor and glory. God can honor us because we're in the right place. But the contrast to that is Romans 1. It says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. And then it gives a list of about two dozen characteristics and practices in man's descent that makes him worse than a beast. So in Psalm 8, where man recognizes, acknowledges who God is and how small he is in relation to that, he is crowned with glory and honor. In Romans 1, where he rebels against that and he worships himself, he worships a creature more than a creator, he becomes lower than a beast. Another, There's another contrast, uh, not in the same way, but uh, turn to Acts 26, verse 9. Here Paul is giving his testimony before Agrippa. Acts 26, verse 9. He says, he, he told Agrippa, giving his testimony. He said, I verily thought with myself. Now, this is before 
his conversion. I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And notice the key words here. I verily thought with myself. Now turn to Acts 9 verse 6. 26, 9 to 9, 6. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city and shall be told thee what thou must do. But the key here is, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Tremendous contrast between I thought within myself or I, I verily thought with myself versus Lord, what would you have me to do? In Matthew 21, 44, Jesus said, Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Paul fell on the stone and was broken. Psalm 34, 18, a verse we know, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. The broken heart and the contrite spirit are two essential characteristics of repentance. I have a little book called uh, Lord Break Me, and I'm going to read a little bit from this book. We are introduced to the breaking process prior to our conversion when the Holy Spirit begins his work of convicting us of sin. He must get us to the place where we're willing to confess we are lost, unworthy, deserving only of hell. We fight every step of the way, but he continues to wrestle with us until our pride is shattered, our boasting tongue is silenced, and all resistance gone. Lying at the foot of the cross, we finally whisper, Lord Jesus, save me. The shrew has been tamed, the sinner has been mastered, the colt has been broken. Yes, the colt has been broken. By nature, the colt is a wild, lawless creature. At the merest suggestion of a bridle or a saddle, it will rear, bolt, leap, and kick. It may be a beautiful, well-proportioned animal, but as long as it is unbroken, it is, as useless, it is useless as far as service is concerned. But then comes the painful, prolonged process of bending the colt's wheel so that it will submit to the harness. Once the colt's wheel has been conquered by a higher wheel, the animal finds the real reason for its existence. And then it refers to Jesus' verses there, take my yoke upon you, and so on. Yokes are only for those who are broken and submissive. Our wheels must be subdued and yielded before we can learn of him. He was gentle and lowly in heart. We must become like him, and only in so doing will we find rest for our hearts. And then he gives uh, and, and talks about various elements of brokenness. Repentance, confession, apology. He lumps them together. Restitution. A forgiving spirit. Enduring wrong without retaliating. Honoring others above self. Repaying evil with good. Prompt obedience. Death to public opinion. I, I read here. After W.P. Nicholson was saved, he came under the tutelage of a Salvation Army officer. One day the officer said to him, If you mean business for God, wear this signboard for a few hours in the center of town. On the board were lettered the words, Dead to Public Opinion. 
This experience had a profound effect on all Nicholson's life of fearless service for Christ. Uh, he, he talks about various some areas where brokenness is needed. He talks about children relating to their parents. To honor and obey one's parents means not only to do what they say, but to respect them, to be kind to them, and to care for them whenever necessary. But many fellows and girls have almost convinced themselves that while it may be possible for others, it simply isn't possible in their family. Their parents are too overbearing, too square. All that is needed, of course, is brokenness. What this will mean will be to go to the father or mother or both and say, Look, I'm sorry that I've been such a heel in my relationship with you. I've never thanked you for all you've done for me, but I want to do it now. I want you to forgive me for the way I built up walls of resistance between us. By God's help, I want things to be different in the future. Another area he mentions is husband-wife relationships. Once again, it is a matter of acting unkindly toward those who are closest to us while showing charm and courtesy to those we scarcely know. Too often we have to confess that we are devils at home and saints abroad. The Bible's realistic in anticipating the possibility of tension in a marriage relationship. Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In the local assembly, brokenness is the road to revival. It is a fixed law in the spiritual realm that the tears of brokenness are the prelude to showers of blessing. We generally try everything else first, new building, new campaigns, new methods, but God is waiting for repentance and humiliation. When we repent, the blessing will flow. In all areas of our life, the Lord wants us to be broken. He will wrestle with us as he wrestled with Jacob at Peniel. He will try to break us of pride, of self-will, of an unforgiving spirit, of stubbornness, of gossip, of backbiting, of worldliness, of impurity, of temper, of every work of the flesh. He wants to change our name from Jacob to Israel, from cheat to prince, from powerless schemer to one who has power with God and man, he will wrestle with us till the breaking of the day and put our thigh out of joint. Then we will go through the rest of our life with the limp of a broken man whom God can use. Can you identify with that? I'm not sure how much of this I've shared with you all, but um, I became a Christian when I was 12. I didn't really get serious about my Christian life till I was about 17. And then I, 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 I meant business. I was serious about my Christian life. And uh, I read something, I don't remember where anymore. It might have been used Christian Companion or something. Where I read this account where this, another young fellow had, uh, he, he was wanting to grow too. And so he prayed that the Lord would bring something into his life that would help him grow. And he, he broke his leg. And I thought, well, you know, that'd be worth growing. That'd be worth growing uh, to break your leg. I, 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 I could handle that. So I prayed the Lord bring something into my life to help me grow. I was, uh, I was 18, going on 19. It was my first year in college, and I was studying really hard. I have to study hard for my grades. And I was helping on the farm. Me and Hilda doing most of the chores. And I was active in church. I stayed active in church while I was in college. And I think I was chairman of the youth group and teaching junior Sunday school class. 
in late winter, early spring, I don't remember, probably late winter it would have been, I started not sleeping at night, and then I got to the point where I wasn't eating, and uh, I guess I was physically fit enough to keep going, but mom and dad, they took me to our family doctor, and uh, he gave me some medicine, get me back sleeping, gave me some nerve medicine, and uh, so I had come within a hair's breadth of having a total breakdown. And uh, it was, um, I know there were other rival meetings at the bank, and I responded one night, and then several nights later I responded again. I hadn't felt like I was quite sincere the first time. But that was a breaking experience. And uh, it was a, a mental struggle, too, because I had some... Well, I had doubts about my salvation. I had really some rather unrealistic uh, uh, struggles or thoughts. I know, like, for instance, like one of my teachers would make some a little bit off-color comments, and, you know, the students would kind of chuckle, and I figured I did along with it. And I thought, you know, how could I, how could I make confession for that? I'd have to get on the radio and make a confession so anybody might have you know, make possible for him to hear me. That, that was the kind of stuff that went through my mind. And uh, so over a period of months, I got stabilized. And But the nerve medicine the doctor gave me, um, I uh, needed it pretty much the rest of my life for about 50 years. Just recently, I got onto another medication. But, um, and, and that affected me um, so that it, 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 it's um, limited me in what I can handle. So I said it this ready, a way of ready. I'd rather had a broken, broken leg than a broken brain, but the Lord can heal both. And um, but that was a that was a powerful experience for me. And I think it probably did something. I know Mom said she didn't know why I had to be going through all that, but the Lord must have some reason and uh and, but but the lord needs to keep breaking us um because we face things we run up against things and we have to be broken to respond properly and so i'm just uh but we 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 resist that brokenness we don't want to be broken In fact, like there when I was 18, 17, 18, prayed that prayer to the Lord, bring something into my life, help me grow. I don't know if I've ever quite prayed that again. I didn't want to go through that experience again. Of course, you know, the Lord, he would have had something else. And he has. I mean, he's brought other things into my life to try kind of keep me in my place. Uh, but we, we, I'm just saying, okay, so here's communion and... Christ's body was broken. All that he went through for us. Why should we resist his breaking of us? It's still small compared to what he went through. So let's not resist his work in our lives. Uh, let's turn uh, yet to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. 
For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give us to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And we usually read those verses and we think about the Apostle Paul and all the times he was beaten and his shipwrecks and the time he was in night and a day in the deep or whatever, how it says it. And, and all these things he experienced. There's a, um, a list of them in, you know, somewhere else in Scripture. And we think about, we think that's, that's what it's talking about. It says, We which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's what it's all about. That's that breaking experience. And uh, like somebody said it this way, it is not power he seeks from us, but weakness, not resistance, but yieldingness to him. All power is his. His strength is perfected in weakness. Psalm 147.3 He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. And actually the word wounds in Hebrew is griefs. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Sometime back I'd handed out this song, Perfectly Broken. It was a new song in that one of those uh, uh, Stanley Brubaker's uh, little, little song books. But it says it so well, I think. Hearts that are broken by him who has spoken will understand his will. Jesus stands ready to fit all the pieces he bids us to trust and be still. Broken and blessed when he does the mending and fit for service true, contrite and willing and all to his glory, a picture completely new. Come and be perfectly broken. This is God's plan. Perfectly broken by an unseen hand. Return all the pieces, your heart and soul, be perfectly broken 